0: How are you all? Good. And uh, now before we start, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners who have been good enough to let us gather on their land and acknowledge their leaders past, present and emerging. Um, you're, part of, you're part of today's proceedings because I hope you've come with insightful questions, have you? Yes? Good. So this is this is by way of a chat rather than a formal interview. So there'll be a little bit of music. Hail. A little bit of music and a bit of chat. But the idea of these is that um, we get to learn a little bit more about some of the wonderful artists who participate in this festival. And I, before we start, I just wanted to say how honoured I am to be involved in this particular interview because when I joined a band in uh, 1973, um, we set off on a mission to try to recapture some of the white Australian traditional music that had been lost and to try and make it relevant to a young audience, some of whom you were young then, remember? Mm. Anyway, um, and for a long time I was concerned that it appeared that we were rowing solo upstream and that there weren't a lot of other Australian voices coming through to not only preserve a tradition but also to extend the boundaries of it as the best folk music does. However, the reason I'm honoured today is because William here is a relatively new voice who's doing exactly that. So I can now die happy. Well, if I don't get killed by you-know-what. And um, hello, how are you? All right, so we're here to talk to William about his wonderful career. Oh, William Crichton, ladies and gentlemen.
1: Nice to be with you.
0: All right, so let's let's go back to how you got involved in this at all. Dubbo born?
1: Yeah, I was born in Dubbo, um... My parents had a uh, station out there, working on a station um, called the Glen, and they uh, at ar- around about 19. I was born in '85, so around '86, it all sort of went pear-shaped, and they went to uh, the tin mine had just closed down in Ardlethan. There were cheap houses going in Ardlethan, so they moved out there. We could get a house for you know eight or ten grand, a little fibro house there, and uh, that's where we s- we grew up out there, and. Um, I guess my first introduction to music was uh, was in church and my grandmother and my mother singing so mum would sing me folk songs all the time you know where have all the flowers going she'd love that song and uh, you know tie yellow ribbon and all those old you know and uh, my dad was always into more sort of Johnny Cash and uh, Willie Nelson and uh, JW and and, uh, and you and um, you know so I go I w- was exposed to a lot of good Australian music and I suppose uh, you know, in that context of church where you're always singing. So that got me, and the spirituality that comes with it, even though, you know, as you get older, you revisit some of those things. But the idea of people singing together and that feeling that you had, that connection with the music, you know, to something greater than your, than yourself. And it made sense, and everyone's singing together. So that's what sort of started me on the trail. And then uh, I remember when I really realised the, the power of music was uh, when my grandfather, he was... He was a hard man, you know, he uh, he, he drove the truck across the Nullarbor in the water for supplies, you know, when he was about 13 or 14, and, um, you know, on the dozers and everything, he was a hard man. He died when he was 60, but I remember he was sick with cancer, and he always used to love the old church hymns, Abide With Me and Amazing Grace, and, and What a Friend We Have in Jesus, and he was a religious fella, and so I used to sit up at the end of his bed and sing those songs, and uh, it always used to bring him great comfort. Um, you know, so that was uh, that reinforced to me the power of music in that context. That's where I started. This. Yeah, and
0: and I mean we we often make jokes about <laughs> being down in the arena and being involved in the church of folk, <laughs> but it's the same thing. Who's anybody here put their hand up and been part of the community choir that happens every year? Yeah, good on you. Uh, isn't that good fun? Yes. Except you have to perform on Sunday, Monday morning at about eight thirty or something. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, when do you when do you leave the property?
2: Well,
1: uh, the year sort of um, it all come to a head there when the old man passed away, and then uh, my mother left my dad, and so that set us on a on a trail where we, um, I lived with my dad for a little while in the caravan and then we um, uh, went with mum, um, we moved out to Hay because all her family were all out around Hay and we moved probably about seven or eight different places during that four or five year sort of period while mum was getting settled and so you know we all through uh, Hay and uh, Matong and, um, and down with Moama and and out to Bimby and all all around that sort of, you know, a lot of moves in a very small yeah. area, you know. And we ended up in Tumut, and uh, but I always Mum give me a guitar, uh, what her dad had given her, a, a Japanese sort of uh, nylon string guitar. I and Always used to play that. I didn't know what the chords were or anything. Just just to strum along, and um, I always found myself uh, listening to John Williamson because he, uh, I don't know, he's just got a he's got a very honest way of approaching it, that, uh, that appeals to a kid as well. And he also gives you a, a sense of the space where you're growing up, you know? You're looking out the window at these uh, red gums and iron barks moving past with the fences and the, and the, and the rusty, ru- rusty wire, and that's been relayed to you in song. So it sort of, it validates it and, it, and it gives you a sense of place, and, and, and so yeah, Willow was a big part of that in my early, early years.
0: So was there a music community out there? Did you connect with other people?
1: Um, the first time I really connected with some th- someone uh, was in Tumut. And I was 13 um, and there was an old blues fellow called Colray Price and he had a band and he was really the only real musician in that town because he would, not when I say it, I don't mean that in any disrespect, I just mean it that he was pushing his own thing, you know, writing his own songs, didn't care what other people thought of him. He'd go down to the pub and play a, play his own originals while everyone was yelling April Sun in Cuba or K-San, you know, and he wouldn't care. He'd just play that. And he ended up getting sick of that and he uh, he started this thing on a Sunday in Adelong, um a, a blues Sunday afternoon in this uh, taxidermy, uh, taxidermy place. And so this lady who uh, ran this taxidermy... Um, shop uh would have these blues evenings and that's when i really first started to again come out of the church and and feel music with that same energy but in a completely different space you know so he would do his blues set and then he'd let me get up and and open open the show and i'd play some covers and some originals and all that but you know that was a that was an interesting time he introduced me to a bunch of music rufus thomas and all that that I'd, i'd never ever heard of never really considered and it's not really until I got in my 20s ten- that I really appreciated that sort of uh, influence into the blues. But yeah, he was definitely a, a, a big influence, Colray Price. He, and it's a shame, he he, uh, he gave it up now he dra- drives trucks. So I don't know why. But. Um, and then I sort of started a band and, uh, you know, as you do when you're kids and you, and you go through and, and I felt like, it's funny, you know, when you're a kid you feel... Uh, the immediate connection to the muse or to the music doesn't matter how bad or good you are, you feel that connection. You know, when you're singing in the shower, or you're singing with your guitar. Then the more sort of you learn about it, or the more the, that you think, oh well, people start to ask you, oh, "What do you want to do? You want to be a musician?" All right, well, you have to follow this path, these parameters, you know, and that sort of takes you away from that muse, and it sort of and it stops that uh, connection with what you had. And so, I spent the next 12 to 15 years trying to work that out you know, trying to get back to that original source to, you know, to be trying to be pure with the music and sing about what I had to sing about. And, um, you know, the first time I met Dobe, I was living in Nashville, you know, and, uh, and that was a whole other journey. Um, it's just about journeys, you know, and then you finally get back to where you're being kid-like again and your relationship with the inspiration that you draw. So I was going to ask
0: you about nashville but before we go there um in your music there's a lot of religious and spiritual references so I, I presume that that comes from the early days and that's still important
1: totally i mean all of that i think is uh people we so sort of always there's that side of us that we are investigating all the time and whether we fill it with our faith in jesus or our faith in the land or or whoever you wanna, wherever you want to, wherever you want to, that outlet, put that spirituality. Each and every one of us has that those questions, um, no matter, you know, where you sort of lie. So that has always been uh, part of my music because it's part of my thinking, you know. I grew up in that context of Abrahamic religion, so we, you know, learned the Bible quite well when we were kids. My, mom, my nan knew it back to front, you know, off the top of her head. You could say, you know, read us, um, whatever, Psalm 23, and she'd read it, you know, Whatever, you could ask her and she wouldn't even have to pick it up. She knew it, you know. Um, so that imparted a lot of, a lot on me, all those old stories of, of struggle and breakthrough, but you know, and, and uh, the universal love uh, of, uh, of Jesus. But then figuring out that the establishment around it was exactly the antithesis of what the message of his was. That was a, something that come later, you know, um, whether he existed or not, what those words actu- actually represented. So I still investigate those themes because, um, uh, you know, it's still on my mind. So it's, it's
0: quite a jump yeah. from Tumut to Nashville. So why did you go?
1: It's a long story, that. I suppose we got some time. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I was about 17 or 18 and I, I was living in Tumut still. And I got this gig with a keyboard player called Sam McNally. And he was a, uh, played in a lot of bands over the years and a lot of different bands, very creative person. And he asked me to fill in one time to sing for him. And I was, you know, I was down in the Tumut, and he asked me to come up to Sydney to sing a song at the basement or whatever. I did that and then the following week he said, oh, I've got this contract in China, you know. I've got this contract in China. It's three months. Um, We're singing in a blues bar. Uh, it's called Ice House. Uh, do you want to come over? And I was like, Yeah, right. I'll come over. And so I went over there for three months, and um, we played in this. Uh, it was an ice house back in the days of the dynasty. There, they with the they'd have these big stone buildings that you know, was seven or eight feet thi- thick. So when they put the ice in them, the ice would stay cold, and they could keep all their yeah. meat or whatever they had to keep in there. And there was uh, some people starting a blues sort of club, or. Uh, tax situation I don't know what it was but for three months we played in this ice house probably twice as big as this room and I can tell you that we played every night and uh, 90% of those evenings uh, nobody was there (laughs) and (laughs) no literally nobody Uh, but there was this one night um, when we were playing and this group of people walked in and I recognised some of the faces. I didn't know didn't know them, but I knew, to they're faces that I know. And so, um, as you do when you're playing a gig, you, you just walk over and say, g'day. And so, one of them was uh, Naomi Watts and the other one was Ed Norton. And um, and then there was another uh, fellow there, uh, James, who became my really good friend, who was, uh, they were working on a movie there called The Painted Veil. And somebody had just... Uh, had, had invited them into the into the club and they were there with the music. So we got chatting and whatnot and, uh, and, uh, and, and Ed and Naomi went off and did their thing after an hour or so. Of, um, and I sat there with James chatting and, and he said, oh, you know, you should come over to New York. And I'd never really wanted to go to America before, but he invited me over and because uh, he was working on some films. He's like, oh, you want to come and play some, you know, try and write some stuff? I'll, I'll help you out. You can stay at my place. And... So I took him up on that and I moved to, well, I didn't move, I went to visit in New York and um, stayed there for a while and then, you know, we you're young and and you're coming from Tumut, New York's quite different and sort of got the bug for that experience of new things um, coming from China which you couldn't get much different to Australia, like a, a lot of fond memories of China but then to go to New York as well which was Sleepy by comparison to China, but it was uh, it was it really um, inspired me, and so I come home and uh, decided that we'd try and move to America, as you do, and just to suss it out, not really to chase anything in particular. So we move. I moved over to America, um, petitioned for my visa, I got my visa, and 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 so that set off that trail of living in America, which also um, was interesting because like I say, you grow up with this connection to the land and everything and then you start to get into the music industry itself and it starts to say, you know, we love what you do, but let's change it, you know, that's sort of... And so you start that path of trying to fit in and trying to do this and trying to do that and then, um, you know, with some moderate success, get a little check here, check there, keep you through, you know. But n- it wasn't really, never really felt real. Like it never really felt like I was doing the service to the muse, you know. I was, I was doing my part as an artist. But I was chasing something, um, as we do. Uh, and then from there in New York I moved, to, uh, moved out to L.A. Because I, we were, um, uh, this one particular night in New York, uh, there was a band playing down at, um, I forget the name, the Urban Plaza my memory serves me correctly a band called Toto and uh, and I was I love Toto you know I I used to love them I still appreciate them but um, you know a lot of the musicians in that band were uh, very great musicians like Greg Gaines was um, Stevie Wonder's musical director and then you had Steve Lukather on guitar and and, uh, all these guys um so we thought geez we better go see them So we went down, my friend and I, uh, and uh, we made our way. Back then we were just a couple of young silly Aussies and uh, drunk every night. And uh, we decided that we'd go back. We said, let's try and meet Steve Lukather. Let's try and make it happen. So uh, we did. We snuck backstage and uh, we got back and and Steve Lukather's there and he's got his uh, bottle of J.D., um, Swigging out of his JD and the first thing I said to him, I was about twenty, I was just turned twenty one. And I said, Hey Steve,
2: remember us?
1: <laughs> and he goes he goes, Of course I do.
2: Come and give me a hug.
1: He didn't know us from a Bar of Soap. But he he gave us a hug and we were sat there and chatted to him. And then their management uh, were, were there and they're like, Oh, so who who are you? And and I'm like, Oh, you know, told them a bit of the story. And they said, Oh, well have you got any demos? And I said, Yeah, I got some demos. Did you send them to us. All right. So I sent him some demos, and um, then we, uh, uh, from that, w- I got an offer to move out to LA. So I moved out to LA, and uh, and uh, that set off another chain of events, more uh, uh, more dragging away from the muse, but definitely uh, it uh, that taught me a lot. So we moved out to um, LA, and I remember the first first week I was in LA, uh, I got mugged at gunpoint uh, w- down in Koreatown and uh, I was walking with a good mate of mine from Wagga and walking along the road. We'd just been to the Baked Potatoes, seen a band and we're coming back and yeah, mugged at gunpoint. Uh, so that was the first little interaction of any note that I had with Los Angeles. <laughs> <coughs> it was quite interesting. I'd never seen, I have to say though, the uh, I've never seen police work so fast and um, to uh, apprehend and put against a wall and shine a light on on uh, two Hispanic men who met the description but were definitely nowhere near the people <laughs> who had attacked us. Within 10 minutes, the, the LAPD have these two random Hispanic people up against a wall. Was that them? No, officer, that wasn't them. Are you sure? Yes. Are you really sure? <laughs> you know what I mean? So it gave you an insight into uh, all things that I didn't really understand at that point. But those things would come to have a greater significance later when I when I truly underst- Well, got more on the path of understanding the way of the world. Um, but, yeah, that set off a chain of events there in L.A.
0: I've never heard anybody describe New York as sleepy. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> so there you are in L.A. Yeah. And from there... It's off to Nashville
1: soonish. So we um, we p- at that stage I'd uh, I w- I'd married Julianne and um, I was twenty three and she was nineteen and we had our first daughter Olive and um, we'd just got this uh, show in that in the band we were there opening for Cheryl Crow on the west coast of um, of America up through up through there and so. Uh we did that um, and in our youthful, uh, I don't want to say ignorance, I want to say hopefulness, we, uh, we bought a van because um, uh, an old big winter, a Winnebago thing that we thought, oh yeah, we'll just buy that and five grand, 30-foot RV, you know, what could go wrong? Answer was everything. <laughs> Well, anyway, we got through it. Uh, we did that tour, everything, that all broke down. So it, we were a little bit broke, so we didn't know what to do. and So we thought, oh, well, let's go back to China. We'll go back to China. Uh, so we went back to China because I had some friends there. And, and all this time we were, you know, going back to Australia a little bit and um, seeing my dad and helping him out of there on the farm and all that. And uh, so we're back in China, and then while we are in China, one of our friends said, oh, you should move to Nashville. Um, there's, a, I've got a friend there who's who's just opened and started a management company, and I'd just parted ways with my other manager, and not me, but in the band I was in, in the band. And um, so we thought, all right, we'll go there, go down to Nashville. And so we were in China for a while and uh, saved a little bit of money. We thought, oh, our visas are still current, let's go to Nashville. So I remember the first day we sort of moved down to Nashville there and uh, we drove around. No one would rent us a place because we were, we were foreigners. Um, and uh, we finally got this place. I just thought, oh, I'll just we need to find someone who's just a fella renting something. We don't want to go through the real estate because they wouldn't give us a place. So we had, uh, I had about eight grand or something in the bank and um, so I took out five of it. And I said, "Oh, here, I'll give you five grand. Need a place. We'll cover three or four months in in advance." And so that got us a place. We didn't have we didn't have much money though because we'd spend all of it paying that rent in advance. So Jules and I used to take turns. We'd go down and busk down on Broadway in Nashville, and uh, she'd finish and I'd start. I'd start, and, and uh, you know, and she'd always make more money than me. Um, so Especially when we were going through, uh, we had this little, um, I don't know if many of you know America, but they have a, a thing like Vinnie's, it's called Thrift, what's, uh, I forget what it's called, Thrift, um, can't remember the name. Goodwill, it's called Goodwill. And um, so we went down there and we weren't making quite enough money to, to get by, but Julian found these pair of uh, American flag pants and so, you know, if you, I don't know if you've seen Napoleon Dynamite, but those Rex Kondo American pants. And so I tell you, when Jules began wearing them down the street busking, it tripled our income. <laughs> 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 the patriotism. And uh, so and then there was this one night, we're all down there and we got a babysitter for Olive and, um, and we were playing on down in Broadway in front of this place called Bailey's, which is an Irish bar down there. And uh, this fella came past and he goes, Ah, you guys sound all right. Um, I own this bar here. Do you just want to get a gig every Wednesday night? I'm like, yeah, all right. We'll come and, come and do that. So they would pay you a guarantee and then you'd go in and just play for tips, you know. And the, 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 the idea was is that you would play your, um, uh, just play covers. But we didn't. We played, you know, we were trying out our songs. I don't think they were that great, but we were trying them out anyway and uh you know do cover original cover original and sort of working up our thing and and uh so then we got and then after the wednesday nights we're going really well we're making you know it was good and then they said oh do you want to do three more nights so we were just doing we started just playing down there in bailey's doing those gigs and then uh and from that one night we were in there and some random fellow came in and he was a producer and he said uh oh you know you guys are pretty good You, you we should do something. and So from that we made a full album out at this place called The Castle and had some support and whatnot. But it was a horrible album. And so uh, it just <laughs> it was full of, uh, yeah, you know. So that sort of, uh, the band broke up and, and it just wasn't fulfilling because we you spend your life thinking what it is you know, how, how cool is it? Go and make a record in Nashville. How cool is it? Hang around in Nashville. But then you realise once you're there, yeah, there are some cool players and there are some good people telling American stories. But this is not me at all. It's not me. And it's not... These aren't the stories I was here to tell. I was here to learn how to do some things, get inspired with some guitar playing because they teach you some lessons on that, let me tell you. But, you know, to come back and, and, and really feed off your own situation was the answer to a bit more fulfillment than being there so i remember the week julianne and i actually got our green cards, and we were like oh well are we going to stay in america uh and we thought no we're not because it's just not it doesn't feel it in our heart you know it doesn't feel it in our gut it feels a little bit too uh there's too much of a veneer it's not it's too much of an industry. We're not really getting to the core of why we're doing music in the first place. You know, the core of why we're doing music. why we're doing. Everyone's different, but why? Why we're doing music is is to is is to is to pay tribute to that muse and be a voice for whatever your individual has to be a voice for. You know, ask questions. Talk about. You know, things where you talk about things. You know, I'm not interested in talking about fucking oh, uh, talking about pickup trucks or. That sort of coffee, or you know, I remember the first time I'd written this song, and we were being ma- managed by a fellow called Doc McGee, who is uh, who a big manager there. He managed the um, uh, like Guns N' Roses and Kiss and all that. And, and we played him a couple of songs, and they weren't very good songs, but um, he liked the ones that were our worst, but he uh, he didn't like any of the songs that really questioned anything, questioned the status quo, talked about. Question in religion, talking about, you know, just anything like that. And so he's like, no, no, that's not going to sell. It's just, you know, go write some songs about coffee and trucks and literally. And so we, we went to a couple of um, writing sessions and you'd walk in and these guys had never even been on the land at all, a lot of these fellas. And they had farming magazines and they're, and they're getting terms and getting, like, looking through farming magazines, trying to get terms and writing riffs that you've heard a thousand times before. And I just thought to me, well, if this is this, then I'm not this, I'm, I'm out of here. And uh, and so we moved back to Australia, to the top of the Murrumbidgee River, to Burranger, and that's where sort of life changed.
0: So, um, what year are we talking about in Nashville? <coughs> Good question. Roughly.
1: No, roughly. So I'm 34 now. I moved back here when I was 26. Okay.
0: Yeah. So... Who's been to Nashville in in the room? Don't go. No, no, no. <laughs> um, but it's quite amazing as I... I don't... I understand where you're coming from with the subject matter. But the first time I went, I sort of... Well, musically, it really wasn't anything to do with what we were doing. But I couldn't help but be blown away by a whole town that's driven by music and I, we went into a bar where if you went into a bar in Australia there'd be three people propping up the bar and they'd be talking about sport or maybe politics and I was overhearing this conversation and they were having this furious argument about songwriting and saying Oh, mate, I reckon Alan Jackson's best lyrics, that one, blah, 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 and the other one. No, that's not the one. They're having this ding dong go about songwriting. And I thought, gosh, this is a fairly different place, isn't it? So, did you get the vibe?
1: Oh, to say that it's not an inspiring, you can get inspired there for sure. Like, I met uh, one of my closest friends, Matt Sherrard, there. You know, he, he taught me how to open up a whole box of music. I'd never even thought of you know so to say it that it wasn't inspiring for me would be wrong I like definitely was inspiring but at the same time you also see uh just stuff you know you see all this ins- inspiration inspiration there's a little scene there there was the Gillian Welch scene which was awesome you know she's keeping it really real and 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 that was awesome but you know I just uh she's telling stories about America her her home yeah. you know what I mean yeah that's, like that's not my home. Yeah, yeah, so I can't yeah. tell stories about that yeah. and do it justice, you know. And I don't want to. I want to be – and the thing what fe- – the the idea – I guess I just was – I was immature and a bit ignorant. I didn't really realise how it actually worked, you know, in the sense that um, uh, music I- – there's a lot of inspiration driving the music, but what's what's really driving it, and it's the same with everything, I- uh, is the commerce of it. So it's like – Will this – and that's what – it started to feel too much to me, you know. It started to feel like, you you know, you have to – it's, yeah, too commercial. And so – and there's always a place for that. I'm not putting shit on it, but I'm just saying that it wasn't for me. And and that even though opportunities arose there to, to stay, those opportunities weren't fulfilling in a soulful way. But I love going there and doing what I'm doing now. I love going there and playing who I am now, but I just couldn't find who I was there. There was a part of me now, I carry it through, and I was inspired by the musicians. You know, we used to go down and uh, watch a, uh, a band every Monday night at the tap room, who'd just play for free. Kenny Vaughan was leading it, you know, one of the greatest punk guitar players of all time. You know, sitting down there, he played in Lucinda Williams' band for a long time. He was just down there playing for tips with his three-piece band. That's inspiring stuff. You know, you can't escape that. But and there's inspiration, you know, you go down to the station inn and watch the time jumpers. Sure. You know what I'm saying? You're gonna you're gonna get inspired. There's yeah, some good yeah. shit there. But it's uh it's more the overwhelming, all right, so you're an artist, you gotta fit these parameters, we're gonna make some money, this is how it's gonna happen. That's what I didn't like. Yeah. And and I understand some people chase that and that's cool, everyone's different, but it just wasn't for me.
0: So now I think at last count there is something like Hundred and thirty Australians are actually living in Nashville now, <laughs> so so when you went mm. and and they have got a community and they help each other out and get yeah. gigs happening and everything, yep. which is great. So were, was there anybody else? Were you
1: totally um, uh, hung out a lot with Jed Hughes, yep. and um, he was a very inspiring character. There helped us a lot, you know, and um, he's a great fella. He's one of those guys who's just such a great guitar player. He could be anywhere. You know? Um, and uh, and who, what other Aussies were there? Um, there were a few other Aussies, uh, but mainly Jed. And then we, you know, like I say, we ma- We made some really good friends there, that's for sure. And it's always got a soft spot in the heart, old Nashville. Yeah. You know? And you
0: turned your, turned your back on a green card, you bastard. Yeah, I did. God. Yeah, we did. Oh, we it's was. a wonder they welcome you back at all. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think it might be time for a musical interlude. Do you think? Mm-hmm. So could we? Um, sure. Can I just get a bit of that water? Oh yes. Well, you could do it. that. I'll get the water. Oh, all right. Oh, come on, You're royalty of a sort, mate. Okay. Well, you are today. Would you like to sit down, you folks up the back, or now after um, we'll just bring the story up to date and then it's your turn to interact, just giving you a heads up, so, or you're writing down a question. Excellent. Good. All righty.
2: Love is hard to find But it's on my mind Like a fire warms a winter night You're on my mind Faith is hard to have Or to understand when you lose the closest one you have i don't understand time goes by and tells me i must move on with my life seasons come And seasons go Flowers fade and new ones grow Closest friend just as surely as tonight will end, we'll meet again. Love is hard to find, but it's on my mind. Like a fire warms a winter night, you're on. Thank, Thank you
0: very much. Tell us about tell us about your songwriting process. Are you one of those highly organised? You mentioned the Nashville songwriting thing, which is like, you know, right. We've got twenty eight minutes to write a song. Let's yeah. get on with it.
1: Well, funny about that because in Nashville, like I say, I met this fella, Matt Girard, and he opened up my process a lot. Uh, and took a lot, we took a lot more time and, and uh, just got to the heart of things. So sometimes a song will come in five minutes in the in the space of time that it takes you to write it. That one there that I wrote, I wrote with a mate of mine. Um, I had that, we wrote in about 12 minutes. And because uh, we, you know, just enough time to do it once and then talk about it, do it again, and then it was there. Some songs take years to, to write, to finish what you need to say in them. Because for me, you know, I, uh, I always start with the story. And I try and uh, well sometimes you get a melody or a vibe first. And I know a lot of fellas, little uh, ladies start with the uh, start with the melody and, and, and I sort of envy that a little bit. But for me, I have to listen to the story and, and the st- let the story guide where the melody goes. And uh, so if I get a vibe for a song, you know, sometimes it'll just, like I say, come out in the time it takes you to play it and then other times it takes years to, to, to get what you need to say out of it. So where do the
0: stories come from? Are you a great reader, or talk uh, to people?
1: Well, I guess the first time—I mean, they've always. Just, there's so many stories around us already. You know, there's so many stories, and the people that you meet, the landscape, the feeling that you get from Mother Earth, the just—you know—in—in in conversation with people. Like I do read a fair bit, but I also—I also my main inspiration is just this land and the people in it. You know, and and the interactions that you have in our history and now there's so much in this country to write about this we have such a such a very dense history and such a very uh, interesting people here you know and 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 we take it for granted a lot I think we don't actually investigate our own history and our own place and and who we are in it um, um, enough you know and we need, I think, for me, it was part of really finding my identity, finding out who I was, you know. And you can't really know your identity unless you accept your past. And that was a big part of it, working out all of the myths that, that you get told as you're growing up, all of the myths that sort of sustain the national identity that doesn't necessarily exist. And you find another identity in within that that's stronger because it's true, you know. I don't need to believe uh, some of the myths that are perpetuated by the national agenda. You can just believe that, know the stories and be equally as inspired and just know the truth. So
0: when you listen to your music, you can't help but be impressed and and note that um, you feel a great connection, as you've said, with the land and the original inhabitants Mm -hmm. and I'm just wondering did any of that association come from the days out in Hay and on the plains? Was there any interaction there?
1: Well to be perfectly honest um, I always felt akin with the land but my upbringing in the circles you find yourself having views that are racist and that are not really appropriate and you swallow the myths and you you know I don't need to voice what we're talking about we all know what we're talking about in that sense and so when I moved back to to Baranjak, um I spent a lot of time in the bush there and um, and all of a sudden I felt this sense of uh, just knowingness and not knowing but like just f- connectedness and a lot of those things started to dissipate a lot of those ideas and at the same time, I started to go bush with uh, some Aborigine elders who were gracious enough to take me under their wing and start teaching me uh, the law and, and start teaching me some, some other things. And, and that really opened up my perspective about how diverse the plants and animals are in this land, how close you can be with Mother Earth, how, how you know, it doesn't... You know, I remember sitting around the fire and this old elder was talking to me and I said, you know, I just don't know where I fit. You know, I, I'm a white fellow. I, I believe in all of this stuff. I feel like I'm part of Mother Earth. And he just looked at me and said, we're all part of Mother Earth. We're all here. You know, I want you all to sit around the fire with me. You know, we are all made up of the same things from this land or from this earth. Come here and embrace Mother. Mother, embrace you. Look after the land. We're all together. You know, and that was the... That really set me on a course of of, of uh, just being more connected with that with that side of, of things, you know. Because regardless, we build these buildings that separate us from from her, but she's there and she's there to embrace us whenever we want to be connected with her, and hopefully that's all the time, you know. And that does, b- and then all of a sudden, the myths and the and the and the lines that you taught you're told. They dissipate because you know truth when you hear it. Everyone in this room knows truth when they hear it, you know, or when they feel it. And so when you when you feel that truth, it uh, it, it really blows up inside you. And that brings its own inspiration. Yeah. So back from America mm-hmm.
0: to... Burrungjuk, which, which is...
1: At the top of the Murrumbidgee River. So we lived uh, sort of south of Yass, and uh, it's Burrungjuk Dam. And we moved and uh, we're the only little village that was built in the 30s that only a couple of workers live there now. Um, and we were down right on top of the dam there on the bank and uh, no one else was around, just us. So we had our own gardens and grew all our own food, went to town about once a month and uh, and, and lived there for m- about 18 months.
0: Somewhat of a shock after sleepy New York, <laughs> etc. mate. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, you know, the thing yeah, but it's very inspiring. Like it's always alive. The bush is alive. It's so alive. You know, every time of day, all, all at night, wherever you are, the bush is alive. And and that was one thing that was really struck upon me. You know, it's all living everything. Down each blade of grass, you know, we're all we're all there living and, and uh that's where I recorded my first album, In the House Where We Were Living. Um, and, and started to write songs. It felt more true to me, you know, we're starting to write songs that were true to me. I heard my calling and I just thought, all right, well, let's start, let's start doing it then.
0: So going right back, you, so was there ever a time when you were going to be something other than a musician?
1: Totally. I was, uh, you know, I've done a lot of things, uh, furniture removal, I've done, I wanted to be a truck driver with my dad for a while, I was going to agriculture, Um uh, was, mm, Started to go to a agricol- uh, uni for agriculture but stopped. And always interested in other things. Music was just a way to be... Music, the moment I started focusing on, on music as a career was the, mos- m- was the moment my music went downhill. And so when I got back to Baranjak and I realised I might do something else, I'm just going to focus on doing something else. Let music be free from any constraints of anything that I think will or won't work. And then all of a sudden it was about the music and so the music s- spoke and come through. And then all of a sudden people, wa- you know, you, you connect with people and people want to hear what you're doing because it's a natural process. I'm not trying to pull the wool over your eyes. If I've got a question in my songs, I'm asking that question in my heart and it's like, it's like a conversation that we're having. And then I get power from that.
0: Speaking of conversation, would somebody like to start one? Anybody got any questions?
1: Okay. When you're just sitting quietly, by yourself you know regardless if you're in the city or wherever you are you know it's it's fleeting for me i'm still trying to get to a point where i can connect to it wherever i were on demand i know people can you know some artists talk about that being able to connect have that connection but we all know what it is it's that feeling you get you know that feeling you get that sense of place and sense of sense of beingness that is uh that, like I say, is sometimes fleeting, but you know what it is. It's a connectedness to the ground and to the air and the realisation that it's all the same thing, you know. Um, I guess when I... Uh, the best answer to the question is just I feel most connected when I just sit quietly and um, regardless of where that is. Uh, my kids bring it as well. Like the kids kids are a wonderful source of inspiration because they're, they don't have a filter as such you know we as we get older we build some boundaries upon ourselves what we're happy to deal with what we want to believe what we don't want to believe whereas kids they're just so curious you know and curiosity begots like curiosity begots knowledge obviously but it also begots connection because you know if you're curious you're open you know as we get older sometimes i think you know i have to check myself and i'm thinking oh don't come to any too many conclusions you know be aware Try not to conclude too much. Maintain that element of curiosity. And if you keep your mind curious and your heart curious, then the muse will speak to you, you know, I think.
0: And you can get yourself into a lot of trouble. <laughs> yeah. um, so,
1: what's next? Don't know. Just uh, continuing to work on music, continuing to, you know... Uh, have my kids and and just try to be sustainable. I'm definitely part of the effort. I want to be part of the effort and we are all part of the effort to get our uh, get our a m- more sustainable living space. So we're doing as much gardening as we can, try to stop as much flying, so we try and take trains everywhere. Just trying to be focusing on the movement of this regeneration that needs to take place in order for humanity c- to continue. So trying to not buy into too many arguments about right or wrong or this or that, just trying to, uh, you know, do what we can in our own camp to make ourselves sustainable and regenerative, you know, with our garden. I think all of us should be growing our own gardens. We should all be growing our own gardens and and we should all be looking out because if we do that, it doesn't matter which side of politics you're on. It doesn't matter what you believe or what you're doing. If we all just look after our own nest in that regard, There'll be no people getting tasered for toilet paper in Woolies. Yeah. You know, <laughs> we, can, we can just work out, our, work out our stuff, you know. Like, we, I remember my grandmother who taught me how to grow vegetables, you know. Like, what a skill, you know, to be able to... She had an amazing garden that she'd feed everyone with, you know. Like, that's what, w- our, that's what we should be doing, you know. Like, we should be co- going to the supermarket as less as possible. Try and take the pressure off. Because if you fly you can see you look down at this land see how deforested it is see how see how barren we've made it you know it's all be- and i come from history of farmers you know I, and i know that there's a lot of goodwill there and we're trying to do our best to make a make a coin and and, and, and work through but we've really we've really taken a toll on the land and so uh, you know if each of us can grow that garden stay out of woolies for a while that's, you know, drive our cars less, take the train more. I think that that's um, – we're on the, right, on the right path. So that's our aim and trying to, uh, you know, try to do that, that. And that takes precedence over anything
0: else. Mind you, you'd be very tempted by the, um, the price of a return flight to Italy at the moment, which, <laughs> which can be had for about 20 toilet rolls, I understand. <laughs>
1: and uh, on that flight like last time we went to europe we realized you know we were each seat on our plane uh that we took takes 38 trees to live for 40 years to undo the carbon emission of that one seat to europe that's that's a big thing you know so you know i'm talking with some uh companies now to try and get that process rolling as far as offsetting. But 40 years is a long time for those trees to live. So I think it's up to musicians too to say, all right, if we are going to travel internationally, we just make it once a year or once every two years. If we are going to travel domestically, let's start changing the way that we tour. And people will respect that. I think people will still come to the shows. You know, if there's a little bit more time between the gigs, it doesn't matter. I think it's up to all of us though to do that. So,
0: yes, absolutely.
1: So is this something
0: that you feel obliged to be part of your music or message? The the social issues and political issues? Uh, Is this a conscious
1: thing or just from inside? Both. I mean, I try not to think of my music as political or anything like that because I think as soon as you do that, it puts it in a framework of this and that. Know, and I don't believe that a lot of these issues are that. I think that there's no right, sane-minded person who you'd listen to and tell you growing a garden is a, is a bad idea. You know what I'm saying? So it's like some of these issues that I talk about or we talk about are just issues we'd have in conversation. And I think, of, and you're the same. Like your music history, one of my favourite uh, musical moments is the Bushwhackers live at the Horton Pavilion. You know, and you always used to put these things in your songs as well. Talk about our history talk about you know marijuana australiana you know that's a that's a great song and it's because it also stands for a message that goes beyond just you know today it's
0: medical advice it is
1: medical (laughs) advice but on a serious note you know it's it's a it's a community building thing under the banner of we're all in this together and that is that's the strongest thing that um you know obviously if you make every song about those sort of things it's going to be a very boring show but I I explore the internal and try and just make songs and I have, you know, Jules does the same thing. She's a massive part of my music with lyrics as well and, and, um, you know, but whether I consciously write protest songs as to speak, I don't really. I just write, I just tell stories.
0: Now, I just wanted to ask you, some people traditionally would suggest that trying to maintain an artistic and creative relationship with the same people you're involved with in a domestic relationship can be terribly difficult. Mm -hmm. So how do you... um, Not a problem?
1: (laughs) Uh, Well, you know, like it's like whenever you're getting... It doesn't matter who it is. Whenever you're being honest with somebody, there's always going to be a bit of conflict, whether it's in the songwriting process or in a relationship with your wife or your husband or your son or your daughter your friend, whenever you're honest there's going to be conflict because people don't always just think the same thing, that's obvious so it's the same with music but I think it's about having long lasting relationships, developing the the mechanisms to, uh, uh, to deal with those situations so you can come out of it uh, on a level of understanding and rather than conflict you know, I think that then we try and do that you ask any of our friends who hang around Jules and I would say that we're always you know we challenge each other that's for sure but that keeps us uh keeps us challenged you know she my i'm lucky to be married to an incredibly smart and uh and and uh deep thinker you know so it um it's uh you know, i encourage that and i think that the, f- the more honest and the, and the more we get in touch with everybody's feelings and emotions is we're all trying to know each other better. The less wars we can have, the better.
0: Yeah, here. Yeah. Has anybody else got a question? Yes. Oh, oh.
1: Yep, driving's heaps better than planes. Yep, driving's heaps better than planes. Totally. Did you have a question? Yeah. All right. Uh sometimes both the same. Sometimes the lyrics. Some it depends on the song. But I empathise with you. That wouldn't be an easy thing to do for a choral. right yeah okay yeah right well there you go (laughs) well sometimes i'll get a vibe for a song and i'll write you know the the outline of the story some lines and then uh you know we'll figure out what we're trying to tell here or what 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 messages come in or what what's happening um, and then we'll work on the lyrics um, together and just to s- just so because with lyrics it's like for me uh, it's great to have somebody to bounce them off because that's what they're about communicating so if I communicate with myself it's a bit of a feedback loop so I want to tr- you know I always run all my lyrics through through Jules and we always sort of work on on those um but you know, it just depends. Some stories just come. And some stories, as you'd know, like, will just present themselves to you in someone who you meet or an experience that you have. You know, and then th- those lyrics are easy to write. But the ones that are a little bit more complex, like uh, I just wrote a song for my new album. Uh, it's a very long story. And so you could, you could have 20 verses. So then it comes a, uh, it's hard to try and condense that to six. So, you know, that, that process. But with your choral singing, I can see how that would be hard too because you're writing music for group singers, you know. So when you – I always take – I always read hymn books as well to figure out how they how they do it, how they actually – they get this message across and with a very nice melody and with these lyrics that go over, you know, and it's everyone can sing them. There's a power in that. Yeah, well, that moment did change me. That moment there sitting around the fire with Uncle Mick sort of changed the way I viewed things. Um, And definitely having that acceptance that, yes, horrible things have happened and, and we are part of that and we aren't responsible for that, but we live by the privilege of that. Everything that we do is enabled by the destruction of another culture that lived for hundreds of thousands of years in a relatively peaceful way and uh, and so when you uh, take that on as part of who you are um, not that you should be living in shame but you should be living with a purpose to be connected with mother earth and to be aware of aware of what our, uh, what indig- our indigenous brothers and sisters feel you know and uh, it's important for me um, once that Knowledge. Uh, once I come to that awareness, just a lot of soul time and a lot of t- alone time in the bush, and a lot of time thinking and just you know, because if you if you're out there and for long enough, and I don't even have to I don't have to go to the bush, but it's a, you just go to the backyard or wherever, you know, just feeling at one with this place. That's the that's the best thing that we can do. That's the best thing for for each and every one of us to try and take down the walls that modernity sort of. Put around us and try and keep us separated you know we don't want that we want to feel at one here you know there's always uh, different things or how do we treat this person how do we do this how do we do that and and, you know it can get confusing but it's up to each and every one of us and, and I'm still on the path you know to to really investigate our history know our place here and know what we are capable of, you know, and we are capable of being one with Mother Earth and treating her very well, you know, and, and having that symbiosis, having that long-lasting relationship. No one wants anything else than that. And with that will come more understanding, more peace and more regenerative situations. Is that?
0: And it's another, another great reason to travel by train or car because you can actually get out mm. and wander off into the landscape that's right and and feel that inspiration and then realize you've got another 10 hours to go <laughs> but That's the country we
2: live in yeah you know? yeah
0: exactly sorry there was a question over there
1: Just sort of, uh, it feels like a real thing. Like feels that's the connected thing. I do This is a, this is cool because everyone can hear me. But when I don't. That's what it is, you know. and for me, I just remember uh, the power of the old uh, the old preacher used to get up and, mm-hmm. you know, and talk to mm-hmm. you, yeah. and that would that would resonate regardless of the words, just the timing, You know, here we are, all together. Well, I'm glad you were there. It was
2: yeah. sure.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, folks. Um, and and before I forget, thank you very much for coming. But mainly, thank you for a wonderful chat, William. That thank was you so much for break. having <laughs> us.
1: Thank you too, Dob. And I and I think it is important to recognise this fella, like he's one of the. One of the elders of a, of Australian music. No, in a in like in a true in a true sense, like in a true sense, like you're a source of inspiration for all of us. I remember the first time I saw Dobe perform was at Unity in the Community in in Tumut, New South Wales, and I was about 13 or 14, and he was backstage getting in his gear and with his with your stick there, and he said, "G'day, young man, how are you?" And we had a little chat, and just a good, uh, you know it's good to have role models like yourself don't well no real. and thank
0: you and and when i introduced you and said it's just so wonderful to have some sort of sense of you know passing on the baton because you know the feeble hand passing on to, here young fella take this and, but no it's great and 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 this festival especially you see so much of that going on and that's one of the things that brings us back all the time but anyway lovely mate and thank you for that
1: thank you I'll well, finish with this song it's a little long but
2: arrested on the streets of glasgow His Majesty, a debt I owe. They threw me onto the fortune, and I lagged into Sydney Cove. I felt the cat of nine tails before my feet hit the yellow sand with boots full of blood. I trod on to a strange land. They called a Mary. She don't speak, the keeper said, tends the cabins and the stables. Brings the water and the bread. The grunters got her in the mountain, dragged her down to the lodging slum. Now she remains silent amongst the grunts and the spilled rum. Black fella come to stop em once. So they tied him to the scragging pole. Three hundred lashes. But they couldn't kill his soul. Mary was wailing. Hitting herself with stones. While the grunners burned his body. And for the night left her alone. Of the colony needs a road over the mountains and in a few years you might be free breaking stones and building dying every day shackles round my ankles Mary was coming with the bread and water the grunners were all drunk when they saw her coming. They tied me to a red gum stump. And then a grunner named Jackson started tugging at her clothes. She remained silent. They kept walking like water flow. And then Jackson got his musket Cracked it across her back And the grunners all took turns on her Until they passed out on the track No rain had yet fallen Thunder roared all around Mary lay in the dirt Bloody face up to the dark clouds And then lightning struck an iron bark Lit the scrub down underneath Me and the gang were still chained up And the grunner still asleep Oh, the fire rushed over them And I could feel the blisters on my head Then from through the flame She came on Jackson's thoroughbred Her name is Clara. She's the river and the wind And she moves through the blood war And the fire is a friend Her name is Clara She's the river and the wind And she moves through the bloodwoods And the fire is a friend And if you're ever in the again. You can hear her voice singing out the truth for you, leaving you with a choice.
0: the end. Thanks for coming folks.